You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Please read. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. And we're going to have one more gospel text this morning, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, or he was anxious, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. The title of this series that we're stepping into for the rest of January is entitled Putting in the Work. Putting in the Work. Jacqueline and I have been talking, we've been praying, and we sense a gap between where we know we are, where we want to be, and then these days it just seems like so many things attack the motivation to get from where we are to where we know we need to be. And it's the annoying attack because it's the minute you, it's almost like the attack waits for you to take three steps and then it shows up. It waits for you to kind of like get in the car and then things go wrong. Actually, if we could just get into the car without things going wrong, I would be really happy. That's my New Year's resolution for 2023, is to get from the house to the car without Satan winning. So I just like really didn't do baby steps just now. Listen to the last sermon. If we can get from the house to the car, if we can wake up and count to 10 before Satan wins. Work was never the consequence of the fall. Self-sufficiency was the consequence of the fall. The desire to live life in self-sufficient ways is the consequence of the fall. 
Pastor, how can you say it's wrong to be self-sufficient? Here's how. When we meet God for the first time in flesh, He's a baby who doesn't know how to walk. He's a baby who walks and falls. He's a baby who when he falls, his mother Mary picks him back up again and helps him to where he was going. And then when he's at the climax of his ministry with the cross and the world and me and you and everybody else on his back, he falls again. And he needs somebody else to pick him up and help him carry his cross, his goal, his resolution, his ambitions. He didn't accomplish them without the help of a mother teaching him to speak and walk, without the help of Simon getting him to Calvary. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey that wasn't his own. When he ate the Last Supper, he said, go into the town and there is a person who's letting us use their room. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He ate the Passover, the Eucharist, the communion meal in a borrowed room. He was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. God reveals a life where needing help is not the product of messing up. It's the product of living right. If we're living a life where we don't need help, something has gone wrong. If you're living a life that doesn't need the people around you for vital reasons, something has gone wrong. Jesus didn't fall and need help to show us that falling is wrong. He showed us that the only way to accomplish any meaningful goal is to not be able to do it by yourself. Who loves this message so far? Who loves to be needy? You love to be needy? We will pray for you. We cannot create a life where others don't play vital roles. Listen, all vice is the elimination of needing the influence of other people. All idolatry. Idols are basically ways of saying, I don't need you, I need my phone. I don't need you, I just need another drink. I don't need you, I just need another slice of pizza. The devil is a liar. A liar. I'm over here confessing my weaknesses and you all keep buying me Sal's gift cards for my birthday. Like, stop. I don't need more pizza gift cards for Christmas. Get me a gift card to the fasting store. In the story, when Jesus tells the story, and, and this is for somebody, when Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, in the story, and you've heard me say this before and I'll say it until I die, I'm not repeating myself, I'm saying it until I feel that we all get it. But in the story, the rich man is yelling from hell to heaven saying, somebody give me something to drink. And in the story that Jesus tells, Abraham says to the rich man in hell, no one can get from here to there. But Jesus is the one saying that Abraham said that. Because as it turns out, Abraham, 
even though he's the father of the faith, even though he's the first one to have faith and have it counted to him as righteousness, even though he's at the center of all of Paul's theology in Romans and Galatians, even Abraham could not see what only God could see and that to Abraham, no one can cross this gap. And then Jesus says, watch what I can do on Good Friday. I will cross that gap. I will go down into hell and I will preach the gospel there. I will make that gap seem so small you could just take a step over it. So anyone in this room who feels, I know I'm here and I know I need to be here, but the motivation to start is so tiring these days. Am I the only one? The stress is real. It's so, you have to work yourself up to have a good attitude, and it could take one split second for that good attitude to take another five days to come back. And then there's a point where you just slowly start to settle for 90%, and then you settle for 80%. And then, like, you know, today I'm thinking, like, I'm tired. There's a lot going on. I was at the ER last night because Jacqueline fed me healthy food, and it did something bad to my stomach. Can I just tell you how awesome God is for a second? This is how good God is. This is a true story. That's why I'm tired. Before my second foot surgery, the doctor said to me, you need to stop eating vegetables because your blood pressure is too low. We need your blood pressure to be a little higher, she said. And I went home, and I'm like, Jacqueline, we, we have a word from the Lord. We have a word from the Lord. Then we start the Mediterranean diet, and it involves a lot of grains. And so I said to Jacqueline, here's what I'll do. I will eat whatever you want me to eat as long as I don't have to make any decisions about it. Just put it in front of me, and I, will, I won't ask for more. I will just have it, and that's how we'll do this. And so she gave me a bowl of cereal that is filled with flaky grains. Well, I have diverticulitis. And last night the doctor said, you need to stop eating so many grains. So praise the Lord, fruits and vegetables, bye. Grains, see you later. Steak and potatoes, welcome back to my house. No one should have clapped for that. That is so manipulative, what I just did. It's not even funny. But we're tired sometimes. We're just exhausted and it's hard. It's hard. And I said to Jacqueline, I said, the best I'm going to do today after church is I'm going to not make things worse. I'm definitely not going to make them better today. We will win if I just keep it at zero. Like if we don't drop, like we're not going to a 10. We're not going to a three. Let's just hope we don't go to a minus five. Let's just stay at a zero. And so I just feel like so many of us are like living in that space, maybe not in such humorous ways, but like in reality, on our way to work, when we wake up on Monday, where's the motivation? And I quickly, because John and Steph had to take the whole service with the baby, quickly... I just want to talk about what it looks like to be healthy and where that motivation actually comes from. And so we have virtues and we have vices, and we see it in these stories. In the story of uh, John baptizing Jesus and in the story of the wise men, we have John the Baptist and we have the wise men, and then we have King Herod. Everybody say Herod. Whenever you read the Bible and you read about the villains in the Bible, Goliath, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, these characters, don't ever think about who those people are in your life. Like, oh, that's my boss. 
Don't do that. It's always a part of you. There's a little bit of Herod in me. Hopefully there's some John the Baptist in me. Hopefully there's at least one of the three wise men in me. But there's definitely Herod in all of us. And so we have the virtuous John and wise men, and then we have the vice-oriented King Herod. And just look at some of the differences between the two of them. John the Baptist submitted his needs, and Herod lived unaware. John the Baptist submitted his needs. Why can we say that? Because John has an epiphany, which is what we're celebrating today, the season of epiphany, and John has an epiphany. He sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And immediately he realizes, I'm one of those people who has sin that this lamb needs to take away. And so when Jesus comes down into the water, John says, you should be baptizing me. I'm the sinful one. Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus says, you, it is fitting that you baptize me. Right there, just pause. Very simple. How often when we're in seasons of stress and seasons of unhealth, mental or emotional unhealth, do we identify our needs and then swear that we know what can meet them and refuse to hear anything different than what we think the answer to our need is? I would have just gone under the water and pretend Jesus baptized me. Herplunk. I'm not going to baptize Jesus. That's not what I need. I need Jesus to baptize me. But John, in a season of health, pivots. Everybody say pivot. He pivots and he realizes, pivot, nice. He realizes, if you saw Friends, that's funny. If you didn't judge us for watching secular TV, it's perfectly fine. In the 90s, no less. What Jesus is saying is, John, I know that you're sinful, and I know that you think that you need me to baptize you, but the reality is, I need you to baptize me. Why? Because when I get baptized, I'm going to go so much deeper into this water than you would. I'm going to go so far down into your sin and into your shame, and I'm going to go pull it up right from the bottom. And so John submits that need right then and there. If you have a journal, write this down. If you have your phone, I will allow it, take it out, shut the game off, and write this down that in a season of health, we pivot and we don't become the ones who identify our own prescriptions. Last night, I didn't say, here's what I think I need. I was like, please give me something that you guys think would help this pain from my wife making me eat healthy go away. Herod doesn't pivot ever. He ends up killing innocent children, which is exactly what Pharaoh did in Exodus. And he never realizes that he's become Pharaoh. Have you ever met someone who is not aware of themselves? Every time somebody says yes, I, swear, I think they're talking about me. It wasn't me, thank you. Thank God. It probably is. I'm probably not aware of myself as we speak right now. It's a catch-22. He's not aware. He has the stories, he has the texts, and he's not aware that he just became one of the worst characters in the scriptures. 
because he's not healthy. So there's this gap between healthy, virtuous John the Baptist and that Herodian spirit that tries to make us sit in our own palace of control, tell everybody else what we need, and demand that we know the tonic that will heal our ailment, and we don't accept anything other than what we think, and wonder why every day we're anxious and all Jerusalem with us. Jesus is the only one who could have done it himself and didn't, and he is the Prince of Peace. Herod is the only one who couldn't do anything by himself and tried to, and that's why he's hailed as the one of the most anxious people in the Bible. But we'll keep going. There's a few more. The wise men, very simple. They left home, which <laughs> this is amazing in a post-COVID world. They left the house. They didn't bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh on Zoom? They're like, Jesus, you're muted. Jesus, you're muted. If you work from home, that's actually not funny. It's tormenting. And then it's even more tormenting when it happens to you and you're the expert on it. Like, Pastor Bill, you're muted. I'm like, I hate my life. The wise men, they saw a star and they traveled. Eugene Peterson says, the wise men traveled light. They packed up and they moved in such a way where it was easy for them to move again. Salem, when we're not healthy, we travel heavy. It's hard to turn. It's hard to pivot. It's hard to take advice. It's hard to hear another perspective. The wise men traveled light. Herod remained demanding. He remained at home. In the Bible, when kings remain at home, nothing good happens. David remained at home in the season when the kings went out to battle. And David remained at home and sat on his couch. And he ended up inviting somebody else to sit on his couch with him. And the rest of the story is not great. It's not good when you are supposed to leave home and stay. And it's not good to stay home when you're supposed to leave Sunday mornings. I'm just saying to anybody who watches this on Thursday. I'm just saying. I have a few more minutes. They gave me a microphone. It's on you. The wise men offered gifts. And Herod made everyone else anxious. You ready? Just, I'm trying to be as simple as I can. There's so much I want to say about all these things, but let's just start here. Whenever you're in a moment where you are triggered and it can start to go south, pause, look at something around you, and thank God for it. There's something about the spirit of thanksgiving that has more weaponry than anything else to destroy the works of darkness. I mean, listen, you all know I had two surgeries on my foot because I stepped on a toy two years ago. And I feel like people don't believe me about that. My life really is that sad. I stepped on a toy. That's what happened. And now it's happened again. And, you know, we walk through the playroom like, ah, I stepped on a toy. Thank you, Jesus, for my children. Thank you, Jesus, for my children. Jacqueline, let's go to bed. The kids are finally asleep. We lay down. Oh, I love you. I love you, too. Thank you, Lord, that my son has a voice and he can cry out in the night the praises of God. There's, there's points. 
There's points where your coworkers should be like, why did you just look at me and say thank you? Probably because I want to kill you, but I started thanking God for you. I started thanking God that we both are at this job where we get paid money. And I was just thanking God that I get to leave you at 5 o'clock. I was just trying to find things to thank God for. You can start there. Listen, Jesus knows where we're at. Baby steps. The bar's low. Grace and mercy are way down there. But it's important to offer gifts. And the first gift we should offer in any moment is offer the gift of thanksgiving. It will immediately change your perspective on what's going on. It'll immediately change your perspective on what's going on. Herod cannot say thank you that a king is born. He cannot rejoice that a king is born. He can't even hope that somebody's going to take the throne after him. And he becomes anxious. Whenever you become the security guard of your own stability, whenever you take it upon yourself to create your own security, Whenever you wake up and say, I'm the one who determines how secure I am today, it will exhaust you to the core. It will make you tired. It'll make you restless. And not just you. Herod was anxious and all Jerusalem with him. There's something in the world of psychology called being an anxious presence or being an unanxious presence. And Jacqueline and I heard this on a podcast together a year ago, and now it's our favorite thing to say to each other every time we have an argument. You're being an anxious presence right now, hon. I'm trying to be a non-anxious presence. And it turns out when you say, I'm trying to be a non-anxious presence, it makes things anxious. You're not allowed to say it. It's one of those things where the right thing to say, you're not allowed to say it because when you say the right thing at the wrong time, it becomes the wrong thing. Dude, I know you're guilty of that all the time. Come on, man. Next door neighbor, Jeff to the left. It is true. It is true. It's like 3 a.m. and I see Jeff walking his dog. Like, I just needed to get out for a second because I probably said something I should not have said. And finally, the wise men left a new way, and Herod destroyed innocence. The wise men left a new way. They could have gone back to a king that could have made them richer than they were, like Balaam did. They go another way. And Herod, who refuses to pivot, you ready? In seasons of stress, your first thought that you have about something, think about when you're angry. The first opinion you have, it seems like it's, it travels all the way through to the very end of the circumstance. When you're happy, when you're feeling free, when you're feeling fruitful and you're in a great mood, you have a lot of different thoughts about things. You can think about one thing a hundred different ways, but when you're stressed or anxious or mad, it seems like you get one thought, like, I'm not worthy, and then you fixate on that and you can't get away from it. Or you have one thought that says, that person's wrong, and you fixate on it, and you can't get away from it. If they would have just done one thing different, my whole week would be different, and you fixate on it. When we get into seasons of stress, we, our first thought becomes our only thought, and we can't pivot. But when that happens, we don't just, just destroy the innocence around us, which we do. When we lose our imagination for what could be possible 
We not only make it a rough place for our children, but we destroy the innocence in ourselves. There's a baby Jesus in all of us that says, look at that coworker from this angle. You're looking at her in this light. Look at him in this light. They look kind of better, a little less annoying. But when we're stressed, we look at everything from our throne, our angle, our ivory tower, and we look at everything with such unflinching certainty that we destroy imagination in ourselves and in those around us. Great, pastor. How do we do this? How do we go from the, vir- from the vice to the virtue? I don't know. That's as far as I got. No, I'm just kidding. What's a clue? One clue is this. One clue that Herod did that the wise men didn't do. Herod says to the, to the Pharisees around him, he says, you go search the scriptures and find out where this baby's supposed to be born. And wise men, come here. You go find the baby. Notice, you go read the Bible for me, and you go worship for me. When you get the results of these things, come and bring them to me. Herod wanted to reap the benefits without putting in the work. He wanted other people to put in the work for him. He wants other people to go to church for him. You keep, you keep Salem running. I'll come when there's nothing better on Saturday night that'll keep me from church on Sunday morning. You read the Bible and bring me a word. And I'll obey it. No, you won't. Pastor, you deliver the word. And that, that'll be my Bible reading. No, no. Mm-mm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want this word to inspire you to read yours. Herod didn't put in the work. John didn't just read the scriptures, he lived them. The wise men didn't just see the star, they followed it. They brought gifts, they were prepared, they put in the work. I mean, even if you go to the other epiphany text with the wedding at Cana, Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine. He says to servants, bring me six water jars, fill up 180 gallons of water, now go serve it. Bring me things, fill things up, go serve them, and then a miracle happens. Miracle doesn't happen until you put in the work. But it's not, it's not that God's waiting. This is so important. It's not that God's waiting for you to put in the work and then he'll act. His grace is your ability to put in the work. His grace is your ability to put in the work. Step into that grace. He is the one who brings us gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't just bring it to Jesus. We can only give Jesus what he's given us first. He's given me air, I give him praise, right? He gave us bread, we give it back to him, and he gives it back to us. We can only give God what he's given us to give him. And so if they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it's because he's given us gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these are the gifts. Let's all stand to our feet. John, you can come up to play. I want everybody in this family to watch John come up to play. Wesley, yeah, come hither. See, that's the fastest he walked in like five years because he's scared of you. 
Listen, if you ever feel discouraged, I know where I need to go, but you feel like Abraham, there's a gap between where I am and where I have to go that I feel like nobody can cross. I just want to tell you right now three gifts that God is giving you every day. He's giving you gold, which is trust. He's giving you gold, which is trust. Because gold takes time to be in fire. And we have to trust him to put in the work on us so that we can put in the work. He gives you trust. Trust is yours today. God is giving you trust. Starting with trust in him, then trust in yourself, then you can learn to trust other people. He will teach you to trust him first and then trust yourself. Have you ever heard an old teaching that would maybe say, if you want to do it, that means it's probably wrong? That's not true if you've been walking with the Lord a while. Maybe it started out that way when you got saved, but as you've been refined in the beautiful fire of the Holy Spirit, it might be now that the thing you want to do is the desire of Christ in you because you've become gold. He'll give you frankincense, which is honesty. The ability to be honest in the presence of God is one of the most freeing realities I have ever received in my entire life. When my spiritual director said to me, when you are triggered, when you're emotional, when, you're, when the volcano is exploding, here's what you do. Stop and tell God what it's like to be you right now. And then God will tell you what it's like to be him in what you're going through. God, this is what it's like to be me right now. It's Saturday night and I'm in the ER. And God says, this is what it's like for me to be in the ER with you. And all of a sudden, even an emergency room can become church. You can feel him there. You'll know that he'll sustain you to be able to preach to a beautiful church the next morning. And then go home and crash and not help your family for the rest of the entire day. And then he'll give you myrrh. Listen, myrrh at a birth is a weird gift because it's burial ointment. That's not something you bring to baby dedication Sunday. But it's humility. It's humility to stand in the presence of God and take up your cross with him. He's giving you trust, he's giving you honesty, and he's giving you humility today. You don't muster these things up. You don't try to get them. You don't try to have faith. You don't try to have trust. You don't try. Adam and Eve tried to eat and they messed everything up. You receive humility. You receive honesty. You receive trust from God. It's available to you. And one of the ways we receive it is by receiving the bread every Sunday morning. In this bread is trust. In this bread is humility. It's everything that we could need. There's honesty in this bread. And like I said to the worship team this morning, Jesus was standing there watching everything in his life fall apart on this night. He didn't say, God, what are you doing to me? 
he looked in this dish and said, look at what I'm becoming in what's happening to me. I'm becoming food when I'm at my weakest. I'm becoming a way for somebody when I just feel betrayed and denied. Jesus looks at this dish and he sees that he's becoming more for the world than we ever could have imagined him being at precisely the moment when he's limping the most. Holy Spirit, I pray today, right now in this moment, that everyone in this room would see in their most anxious moments, there's so much more than they realize. They're food for other people. They're enough for the next event. They're enough for the next chore. They're enough for the next trial. We might not feel like enough for three trials from now, but we're always enough for the next one. You're always enough for the people that you have to serve. You're always enough for the next thing God is going to ask you to do. Jesus looked at that dish and said, even though I'm broken, I'm bread. Even when it looks like I can't do anything else, I will feed the world for 2,000 plus years off of this moment. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and descend on us also. Descend on us, descend on our trials, descend on our ailments, descend on our blessings, and make all of it food for service and ministry and witnessing and discipleship so that we can shine the light of Christ, that we can leave here and be walking epiphanies, for those around us. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. If you're on this side of the room, Elder George is going to be standing over here. You can receive. If you're on this side of the room, Elder Ron is going to be standing over here and you can receive. If this is your first time here, the ushers also have individual communion if you feel safer taking it that way. Take a few moments, receive the body and blood of Jesus. Let him wash over you and know right now that he's gifting you with trust, he's gifting you with honesty, and he's gifting you with humility this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.